Listener Production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and welcome to The Good Oil. Now, you're probably familiar with it by now, but if you're new to the podcast, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. And today's guest is someone who really does know what's going on. She is the money expert, and she's been helping people get control of their money for years. Author, director at ASX Listed Invest Smart, editor at large at CanStar, resident money expert on the Today Show. That's a lot of hats. Effie has been helping Australians make the most of their money for years. And I'm really pleased to have finally caught up with her. Effie Zahos, welcome to The Good Oil. Hello, Scott. It is about time you had me on your show. It is way <laughs> past time. By the way, I have got a I have got a promise from you to come back. There's some there's some news in the offing, and I won't give it away. But you are I, you have promised to come back early next year, so this won't be the last time you're on the podcast. I sure have, but it, it is an honour. I mean, I, I've known you for a while, and I've actually relied on your expertise <laughs> as far as investing in shares and, and so on in that um, mm. market for a long time myself. I I know. I think I met you what probably ten years ago, mm-hmm. maybe fifteen, when I was editing Money Magazine. That's I know. Right. Wrote a, a lot um, for us back then. Yep. I like to think I found you actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you make that claim, mate. If you want to claim it when everyone else is trying to get rid of me, I'll absolutely take that. Thank you. It's very, very kind, mate. You have you have been doing this for for well, it seems like forever actually, but but obviously not all that long. You're still a spring chicken, uh, but you've been watching things. F- on the sidelines and part of it for such a long time. I guess I want to start with just a, a broad view. You're not an economist by training, mate, but where are we economically? When you talk to people, when you see people, when you hear from people, whether they're viewers, listeners, readers, and that kind of stuff, yeah. what's the Australian economy, uh, do you reckon? Yeah, look, and you're right, I'm not an economist, though I did study a Bachelor of Economics at UQ. So, yeah. I take I've it got, back. Well, I take it back. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually putting some of that degree to use lately. There you go. Um, yeah, so look, uh, I, I guess from where we stand on the consumer side, and I do wear a lot of hats, and I think that mm. actually helps me with, with a lot of analysis. And as you point out, like I do work for one of the largest comparison sites in Australia, so mm. I see what people are clicking on. What are they? Yeah, what are their right. pressure points? What are they looking for? And then I sit on, say, a, a board like uh, InvestSmart, which is a robo advisor, mm. and I see what funds are flowing under management. What's that looking like business wise? Mm. So I, I do get to see people of all different different walks of life and different mm. income levels and never have I seen it with so much um, concern as I am now. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, and I mean that because people who are even on a great income mm. have just got the same concerns now as people who are on a very tight household budget. Right. Because whether you're earning like, you know, 160000 a year or 60000 a year, mm-hmm. the fact is we're about to probably see more rate hikes happen um, and whether you've got, you know, whether you're in the haves or have-nots, mm. we've had to alter our budget for the first time. So what, what I'm seeing for the next 12 months, it's really going to be a testing point for households. We've got inflation sitting at 7.3, as you know, Scott. Mm. The budget forecasted, what, 7.75 by the end of the year. Have they missed that forecast? Have I, they? Yeah. <laughs> what do you They've reckon? Got to have <laughs> I, I reckon the ink wasn't even dry and the Treasury went, oh, bugger, that's, it's got to be eight something, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they've got that forecast wrong. Yeah. Um, so... 
and then when you look at their other forecasts, it seems to be the tipping point is around about middle next year. Mm. We're going to see unemployment go up. So about another 150,000 Aussies are going to be losing their jobs. Um, right as inflation peaks, we're not going to see real wages go anywhere for a while. In fact, they're going backwards now looking at, you know, your June wage data and your latest inflation by about 4.7%. So there is a lot of pain that we've got to try and get through over the next six to eight months. On a positive note, when you look at some of the bank's forecasts, you know, one at least is saying that there could be rate cuts next next year. So it's a case of can households survive the next six to eight months? There should be relief after that. Because, you know, we're talking about the US and the UK inflation rates. Well, we're up there now with them. We're sitting there. I mean, you, what the UK is just over 10%. Mm. Um, and we're not too far behind now. So it's not like we're any better. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's um, it's a, it's a real struggle. By the way, I want to add one of one uh, a hat to your life. I reckon you would be a spectacular candidate for the Reserve Bank next time there's a, a board position <laughs> open there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate you. If you can see how we go. Well, uh, I think the CBA, um, Steve, an the economist there, has mm. come out and said that there should be a bit of a shake up with who are the board of directors with the RBA. Mm. I think there is some merit in that actually, in what he's saying. There you go. So you're gonna put your hand up if I nominate you. Are you gonna accept the, <laughs> I'm putting accept the it up for those that can't. I will speak to Treasury. <laughs> Next time I speak to him, which is, no, I have never, but if I do, I will mention it. Please Mate, um, let's let's go back to the Effie Zaha story because uh, you did complete a Bachelor of Economics at UQ, uh, and then you started as a bank trainee, and all of a sudden found yourself in the world of television, and in a very a very fortuitous position for us and for you, I assume, because you then start working on the Money Show, and the rest, as they say, is history and the world's worst cliche. Um, how, how, can you tell me through that journey? Well, let me start with economics. Why you study economics at, at uni? Oh, Scott, oh, it was a no-brainer for me. I okay. loved it. I did it in year 10 and whether it was, it was Mr Higgins, my teacher, I don't know if you're <laughs> listening, Mr Higgins, you chose me, you, you made my career path, yeah. Uh, it, for me, it just made sense. I loved it. And I'll be honest, don't laugh at me, I did watch the um, – Wall Street with um, um <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I wanted to be a chalky. I'll be honest with you. Oh, that's unreal. I really wanted to be a chalky. I thought that would be brilliant. But by the time <laughs> I went to uni, the ASX had changed. That's right. That's right. There was no opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I already lost a job before I had a job, <laughs> um, and uh, I really did enjoy economics. And I think it's something nice. that I wish all school school kids would go through because it does make sense as to what does the dollar mean if that goes up? What's the implication here? Mm. And you don't have to have it on such a big macro level. You can put mm. it down into more of a, a micro level and just see what does this impact my household budget? And I think a lot more of us are taking a, an interest in that area. So I'd love to see more people do it. But it was for me, it was a no-brainer, Scott. It just made sense to me. That's really, really cool. Mate, I'm going to ask you more about women and investing later, but I, I will drop one in here, but I'll go back to you in a second. But given you raised it, we've seen a dramatic drop of the number of girls as a proportion of total students taking economics recently. There was some data out on Twitter only a couple of weeks. I should say, by the way, I'll just date stamp this. We're recording this on the 31st of October 2022 uh, because we'll talk about some current events and other things. That just <laughs> You've already mentioned a couple there, so just so people know uh, the context if they are listening to it later. Um, a whole lot less girls as a proportion. I think the total number is still increasing, I think is right. Um, but but it's, it's something like from 50% in the 80s down to 20% odd, maybe 25% of total economic students now are girls. The other, obviously, three quarters are blokes. Um, I was I was staggered by that. I've got to say, I just, I don't even know where to start. And um, just because I'm a bloke and you're a female doesn't mean that you necessarily know the answers either. But I would love your take on that because 
it does worry me a lot for a million different reasons. I have made a policy of interviewing, I think, just about every single female candidate we've ever had when I've been hiring for The Motley Fool um, because there are so few in our industry. But the numbers are going backwards rather than forwards. You loved economics. I loved economics. Where are we going wrong that girls aren't doing it in the same numbers or the same proportions anymore? And, and Scott, I've read that same report, which is concerning. I also do work with uh, UQ as alumni um, and just to raise awareness around this very point. I've done quite a few webinars with them and I think they're on the right track of trying to change the perception of what is economics and what can you do out of it as a career. And I think that's why they reached out to me because, as I said, I I did my degree through UQ and I think they're doing a brilliant job in trying to raise that awareness and get people like myself and other women that have uh, completed an economics degree and just show that it can go into very different fields. I'm a great example of of how it can go, but left a field into kind of more media and journalism and so on. But I, I think the perception of what is economics needs to change quite a lot. Um, And unfortunately, it does have a perception that it may be this one thing when, in fact, it's actually not. And and like I said right at the beginning with you, the thing that appealed to me about economics is that it made sense. I can do it. It's my own household budget. And I would like to see more women go, go into this field. But it's, again, a case of how is it marketed, how is it being educated, and, and what, you know, people to understand the curriculum a little bit more as to what it could do for you. Nice, I like that. Let's go back to you. You you jump from a bank to I don't know what bank. You don't have to say what bank it is. I was it was Westpac actually. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, how, did, how did you go from there to TV and, and why? Obviously, yeah. you're straight straight in as a head researcher of the the money show as it was back in there. On yeah. I, um, started uh, what's probably been an almost lifelong uh, relationship with Channel Nine, with money, with TV, with media. That was a pretty pretty huge thing. How did that come about? It was, and a lot of people think I've just kind of jumped on TV now. Now, I, I tell you what, I've been doing these money spots since the day <laughs> Kerry Ann had her midday show, and they were live. Awesome. I mean, I've got to give credit to Kerry Ann. I think she was one of the first shows to ask me to come on, and, and I was a That's head cool. researcher for, for Paul Clithrow, the guru, the godfather mm-hmm. of yes. uh, you know, financial advice. Yes. And it, it was interesting. I did finish as a graduate trainee, and I'm from the Goldie, and I got snapped up, moved down to Sydney, and, Scott, they put me up in this house down at McMahon's Point and I didn't know much back then about property <laughs> in Sydney. And they paid, actually, back then, they paid your rent and utility bills as a graduate trainee. Nice. And it was for three months and I remember my mum was saying, oh, look, your three months are up. Do you know where you're going to move? And I go, mum, under control, I'll just take over the rent here. it be no problem. That was my first foray into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been any better since. I couldn't afford it. I ended up in a dingy unit on Oxford Street next to the Albury <laughs> Hotel, just so you know. Um, That's but fantastic. look, it was for me the best move going from mm. Westpac. I was there for about six years and I had a whole number of stints from commercial lending to a customer service officer, lending home loans, did the whole gamut as a graduate. And um, I met Paul Clithrow and I answered a job ad. It was as simple as that. That's fantastic. And I read all his books and I remember doing the interview with him and basically he sold me his best tip when it comes to money and that's not what you earn that counts, it's what you spend. Nice. And it was for that reason he gave me a job at probably at half my salary. <laughs> <laughs> he told you, you know, I like that. Nice, Paul. I took it and the rest, as you say, is history. We, we, we then started the magazine with Pam Walkley, myself and Paul Clithrow back in mm, 1999. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, uh, that's a really... I, I, you mentioned Paul. I, I, just a quick shout out for Paul. Actually, you've already done that. But um, I, I remember the same thing. There wasn't much 
public kind of accessible finance content before Paul Clitheroe. He was the first bloke to say, hey, this matters, this is important. The yeah. whole money show phenomenon was, was incredible, a magazine itself, and it really did kickstart, I think, in Australia that, I want to say industry, because industry is probably a terrible thing, but just that, that, that broader idea that we can have this conversation in public with people who know what's going on can make it really simple and break it down. And you have done a spectacular job of picking up where he's left off. Not that he's gone, but uh, in terms of being the, the public face of so much of what you do um, it is very much, I think, you know, we all we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, and, and I'm sure in no, in no small part, the Motley Fool's own success in Australia actually comes from the fact that people were open to mm-hmm. investing in it. And, and those conversations, had we had to try and do it without that sort of stuff would have been a really different story. So um, thanks for calling, Paul. I, I haven't done that enough and I, I should do more of that. It's a really good point. Mm. Mate, um, let's go then to let's come back to, to the economy for me for a second. Um, I'm fascinated by what we're seeing across the in my place, in my case, the city. I live outside Sydney, but um, speaking to mates and being around the place, uh, the area in my place was chockers on the weekend. I spoke to another bloke, uh, mate, only this morning who said on the northern beaches, um, shops were chockers, couldn't get a car park spot. At yeah. the same time, we know people are doing it really tough already with rates where they are and the bank's going to have to do more, uh, almost certainly, if, if they could cling to what seems to be the orthodoxy and seems to have worked in the past, which is that higher rates are part of the solution for inflation. Right. Um, are you seeing some of that? Are you seeing some of that kind of different uh, people in different parts of the cities and, and the country with those different experiences really seems to be hitting home differently in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're touching on something like, you know, that's kind of dubbed your personal inflation rate. And it does differ depending on, you know, who you are, what your Mm -hmm. age is, Mm -hmm. where you live and so on. I mean, speaking to my mother, her personal inflation rate is a lot lower than mine. She has her own veggie garden. She's, a you know, she's retired and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. she doesn't drive now. So it's public transport. She's not putting petrol in and so on. So she doesn't go out to restaurants. So she has a different perception of what's happening now. Money is tight, don't get that wrong, but but it's very different. You know, I'm still seeing people, you know, numbers as far as shopping and restaurants, they're bigger than ever. I was looking at some data from uh, Frolo, which is a personal um, budgeting app, and they've, that was about 55,000 users, Scott. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting to see they compared this period to, to last period. I mean, the, the, the period in question, we were in lockdown, so it was very different. Yeah. But where we're still spending relentlessly, and you only have to see, as you said, you're out and about, we're still spending on restaurants or dining mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. fast food. We're, we still haven't kind of given that up. I'm seeing a drop in subscription numbers a little bit. People are doing things like that. So we are seeing drops in some places, Mm -hmm. but in other places there's still that lag effect. Mm -hmm. And I think the CBA was one of the first to pull that out and actually show, well, yeah, there is a lag effect. When you see rates rise, it takes around about that three-month period for it to actually filter through. So if that's the case, that six months, we're still really to see the full effect of these rate hikes come in. And now with the silly season coming up, (laughs) that's just going to exasperate people's household budgets. So Mm -hmm. we will see, and that's why I said the next eight months is going to be a real tester for for people because things are really start to fall in place. And and the the monetary policy, the fiscal policies, they're starting, they'll they'll start to to work. Mm. 
I saw some interesting numbers this morning. Again, I'm recording this on the 31st of October. The ABS released a September uh, retail sales numbers. I don't know if you've had a chance to see those yet, Effie, but um, total growth September versus August was 0.6%. Food yeah. retailing was up by 1%. Clothing, mm-hmm. footwear, and personal accessories up by 2%, three times uh, the overall total growth. And as you say, cafes and restaurants more than double uh, the total increase in, in retail sales, which again, it, it underscores exactly what you were saying. What I thought was fascinating is the state-by-state breakdown is, is incredibly different. So SA was negative for the first time in six months. The next lowest state was New South Wales at 0.3, half of the national number. But then WA, Northern Territory, Queensland and the ACT are all more than 1%. I I don't know if it matters. I don't know if it's important. But the two states with the highest house prices, uh, in theory, the ones that are most likely to be impacted by rates, actually have the slowest growth. So SA, the outlier, being negative. But New South Wales up 0.3, Vic up 0.4. Am I clutching at straws? Is there something there? Is this evidence, as you say, we're starting to see that bite? Yeah, I mean, when you think about a $500,000 mortgage now, if we see, and as you said, we're, we're in November now, or 31st of October, mm. it's a right day tomorrow for us. Yes. Um, if we see that go up, that's mm. going to be $800 per month more. More, I'm talking more, not not yeah. to total not repayment. total, yeah. So, I mean, a 500 where does it come from? That's 10 grand a year, right? Like, Yeah, where, exactly. Money. Where does it come from? So the yeah. haves will take it out of their savings, and yeah. we know that people have around twenty to 30000 stashed up that could mm-hmm. save. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take it from there. Yeah. The other ones are going to have to reshuffle their household uh, budgets. And, and this is where I guess I do a lot of work with CanStar. What is the average payable? How much more can you save by yeah. going to the cheapest? Let me tell you, I've done a rundown of everyone's kind of major bills that we have, the regular bills. There's about $13,000 that you can find in savings by moving from the average to either the cheapest or the best value. 13000 Yeah. You that can, is astonishing. I was going to ask you exactly this question, so I'm glad you brought it up. Thirteen grand. that's enormous. It, it is. I mean, when you look at the areas, so basically I've looked at, okay, home loan, the average rate's 5.01. If you're lucky enough, the cheapest is 3.54. Car oh, loan, wow. 7.81, 4.2, and so on. All your oh, regular yeah, bills, yeah. think about it. Your home and contest insurance, your car mm-hmm. insurance, your health insurance. Maybe you've got a pet, pet insurance, your electricity bill, your gas, your NBN, your mobile plan. I looked at basically going from average to either the lowest or the best value, and in total, there's thirteen thousand dollars in savings. <laughs> that is astonishing. I, I yeah, would have said I would have said hike. thousands. Thirteen thousand has blown my mind. That is well, remarkable. Your rate hike. That that could potentially yeah. be your rate hike, isn't oh, it? The entire yeah, thing, right? Not yeah. just even part of it. Like that's you know, just like that's the that's the total amount. And and Scott, let me just point this out. This is mm. why I think the next twelve, six to you know, six to eight months or twelve mm-hmm. months will, will will be quite hard. Remember, before October last year, the banks had a buffer of point, uh, 2.5% when yeah. they assessed home loans, right? Yeah. We've already had 2.5% in rate hikes. So that buffer has gone, which means people's serviceability now, every rate hike from here on in, they haven't been, the bank hasn't assessed it in their serviceability. So it's got to hurt now. It really does. I, I I don't know. I, this is this miss me saying your errors. I feel free, by the way, to answer no comment to anything I ask you. By the way, during this podcast, but uh, I, I am flabbergasted that APRA actually lowered that buffer during COVID while we saw house prices explode. And then, I, to, to my mind, so if, if I was if I was in charge of APRA tomorrow, I'd be using that buffer counter cyclically. As rates go up, as they get closer to what is likely to be the peak, you don't need to, to serve to increase the serviceability buffer quite so much because if you're at let's say. Six and a half percent. Let's just pick a number, right? If you're already there, there's no point adding two and a half percent to that. By the time you get to nine percent, or you know, we're all we're all cactus anyway. At zero, or you know, official cash rate of zero, paying one point nine nine percent fixed. Why you're only being serviced at four and a half 
it just I, I don't I don't even really think I understand how they could have come to that approach. And as you say, in hindsight, maybe everyone's a genius in hindsight. Hindsight's a good thing, but they did increase. It went from two point five to three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, hindsight. No comments, guys. <laughs> Perfect. If you're going to be on the RBA board, you can't be uh, be making too. Yeah, too I'm after a job with the RBA. <laughs> for goodness sake. There you go. Hey, um, so so go, you went through some of those savings. Like they are they are astonishing. I'm going to assume just by sheer value of of the loan of of the debt and the proportion of household income, the mortgage must be number one savings opportunity for Oh, absolutely. The mortgage is number one there. So like looking at that, if the average rate's 5.1, the cheapest Mm. is 3.54, you've got an annual saving there of $6,000. So your big ticket item is the no-brainer to start. But here's the problem with that. Can you, are you in a position to refinance? Mm-hmm. So we're looking now at property prices continuing to, to fall in certain parts of Australia, of course. Yep. I mean, just like any other asset class, you know, you've yes. got pockets that will do well, pockets that won't and so on. So the trouble is that you may find the situation that you brought last year, you had a 20% deposit, but now you've lost that 20% equity because the prices have fallen mm-hmm. and you actually can't refinance. So I can sit here and tell you the cheapest rate is 3.54, but you can't get it because course, you don't have that 20% deposit. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, some lenders flatly say no. So the, you know, unloan from the Commonwealth Bank is a great cheap product, but you need, you must have a 20% deposit. Others want you to pay lenders mortgage insurance, and that can be tens yeah. of thousands of dollars. So unfortunately, there are people that's been dubbed as mortgage prisoners out there mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. can't refinance because they'd have to pay quite a bit in lenders mortgage insurance to get these deals. Assuming the bank gives them the valuation they want to, to refinance in the first place, as you rightly pointed yeah, out, yeah. the house price is falling. Mate, um, what about the most overlooked opportunity? You, you went through some of those. By the way, listeners, Effie is an absolute font of knowledge, as you've already heard. Numbers off the top of her head, just railing through this stuff. This is just gold. Thank you, Effie. Well, um, I do it every morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you do a great job. If you're not watching the Today Show, you're not watching Effie, you should be. Um, so there's a. What time are you on every morning? Same time. Seven fifty-five without there you go. fail. If you're not watching at seven fifty-five, you are missing out. <laughs> um, what about the most overlooked opportunity, mate? Where, where is? Where, you know, everyone's like, okay, okay, house, home loan, sure, 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 car loan, sure. Is there anything you kind of go? People just don't think about this, or is the area where people don't tend to realise their savings? Yeah, and it's more on discretionary spending. When you get into the behavioural side of money, that's fascinating. Mm, Isn't it? Why are you in this mess? Why do I keep doing what I do? What are your triggers? What fixes can you put in place? Mm, mm. So behavioural economics has a lot to answer Mm. for, and and, and I think if we do take the time to, you know, you've got so many experts that come onto your show and they can give strategies, they can Mm -hmm. tell you what you could be looking for and so on. I mean, you can kiss all that goodbye if you don't <laughs> have a good handle yes, on yourself 100%. and your and your money personality. 100%. I find that's really important to, you know, the fear of jumping in, the fear of missing out. Yeah. Why is it that I rely on my credit card? I paid it back and then, you know, as soon as I make credit limit, my, my debt's down, I whack it back up to the limit again. They're yeah. all behavioural things. Yeah, totally. I, uh, and big shout out, by the way, people like Scott Pape who just do a wonderful job of this sort of stuff as well. There are so many great resources out there, as you say, but um, I think most people, it's, what I love about this being so many people, so many bits of information, so many experts is, 
hopefully with that many money personality thing you talk about, people are going to find someone to cling on to and say, yep, Effie makes perfect sense. I'm going to do what she says. Or Scott Pape or whoever else it is. Say, you know what? Find someone whose style and approach resonates with you and then really double down on whatever they say. If that, if that makes sense to you, then really you know, hook into it. I think there's, a, there's some real opportunity there. Yeah. And look, again, Scott Pape is another uh, a great um, person in this field. And then there's just things that you can just get onto government sites. So I think the government mm. sites have done a great job as well. I mean, Money Smart just has some so basic... Good. simple information you know is independent Mm -hmm. it's really simple to navigate if you have yet to play on that website you really should because it's a great starting point that's spectacular. So even some of the, um, is it Energy Made Easy? There's a whole lot of different other sites that just let you compare stuff. CTP, Green Slip, I think New South Wales government has a Green Slip thing. Yeah. 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 There's no excuse really to, to check your energy bill. And I've done this on Energy Made Easy. I've done it on CanStar Blue. I've downloaded my um, bill. It's so easy, Scott. You you know get onto Energy Made Easy, say, download your, your, your bill, uh, click compare, you upload it onto the website and it scans it and basically tells you, are you on the cheapest plan? So I use a few tools and just see, okay, am I still the cheapest plan? I found even myself I could save an extra $30 just by following that. Too easy. And and I, I should I shouldn't exclude Canstar, by the way. You do some spectacular work at Canstar and Canstar itself. Just jump on there and see what you, you know, if you grab your bank statement, see what you're paying in interest on your house loan, your car loan, your you know, grab your insurances, that sort of stuff. It's just it's just gold, right? And that's often when I tell people, mate, I've I've had a, a Twitter hashtag going semi successfully for a little while, get a better rate. And the whole idea of that is like just go and go and find out what you're paying. Go and find out what else is out there. And and that's where your site and others are, you know, you don't have to you don't have to Google fifteen thousand banks and find them all. Not every not every capacity has every provider, so there's always opportunity to do more. More than just that, but at the very, at the very, very least, go and look at cancer and say, how much can I save, or, or what other rates are out there? Yeah, it's, it's a great starting fun. point, and then you know, mm-hmm. pick up the phone, start making the calls. Simple as that. Mate, you wrote a book called "Ditch the Debt and Get Rich," and. Yeah. I love I love the approach. I love the simplicity of, of the way you take a very complex and, and difficult topic sometimes and really break it down for people. The and you talk about money personality, you talk about behavioral finance. So it kind of it kind of goes beautifully into the question I was going to ask, which is I, it, people talk about the, you know the, the the avo on toast or the, the the coffee you don't have out, right? And that's that, and that can be part of a money personality thing, right? It can be part of teaching yourself to be frugal, teaching yourself to think about how you're spending. So I don't think people should ignore that stuff. But I got to say, at the end of that, it's like the house you buy, the price you pay. If you buy a five hundred or seven hundred or nine hundred thousand dollars house, that's that you don't you, can, you can't you can't stop having enough abos to, to offset that stuff, right? Like the, <laughs> the very the very millstone of debt in and of itself. It, it sometimes has good debt, and there's other more nuanced things to think about. Hence, buy the book, by the way. Uh, but the, just that very idea of the, the big decisions that we make and the big debts we get ourselves into that strikes me as the biggest opportunity you've just gone through the rate differences alone but imagine a value difference on top of a rate difference am i right in thinking that's you know it's not the be all and end all but that feels like 80 percent of the work yeah well, well first of all i think avos hit a dollar scott so <laughs> no, I, reckon, I reckon you can have the avocado <laughs> <laughs> lock in the avo yes yeah, so good plan good plan you might have that one wrong. I'm going to correct you. <laughs> I'll probably. Mate, I'm old. Give me a break. <laughs> no, no. You, yeah. Look, they do say save little, save often. That's the tip. Yeah. But look, there is a fine balance. But you're absolutely right. It's the it's the big t- ticket items. And I think the big concern out there for a lot of people too is getting into this property market. I know mm. property prices in general I'm talking about here have fallen, but then we've got rates gone up. And that t- does offset this whole thing. A lot of people th- say, I should hold off, wait till property prices really go down. But you've got to realise, you know, the market, the rates are going up. You're going to pay more in uh, repayments. 
you know, the budget did see some kind of um, touching points on home affordability. I find it was a little bit ambitious, to be honest. A million homes in five years. I thought so too. That was a bit of money. The cost of labour, cost of supply at the moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going to pull that one off. (laughs) The 10,000 affordable homes and states to match it, maybe that'd be more realistic. We've got the um, uh, rent to buy coming out with the government. I guess, you know, would I rather buy with... um, Albanese, or would I rather buy with my family? I don't know. You know, <laughs> the, ba- the, bank, other- the Bank of Elbow or the Bank of my dad, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know which one's worse. The bank of Elbow <laughs> might charge me more, I reckon. Yeah, probably. Well, I would with my kids, put it that way. Um, <laughs> you know, there are always going to be pressure points gu- jumping into the property market, but it, yeah. it comes down to like anything. You've really got to break it down. You've really got to make some sacrifices, but you've mm-hmm. got to put a plan in place. If property is something you want, Um, then it's a case of buy well and then when you can afford, when it's sustainable, jump in. I I think trying to time any market when it comes to investing is fraught with danger. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mate, I, I've, I've told this story before of uh, when I was young and stupid. Now I'm just old and stupid. When I was young and stupid, uh, I, I got a job and I worked in, I got a job as an account manager. So I was, I was a, yeah. in a sales role and they came at the time, I probably still do, with car allowances. And you could take the car allowances cash or you could, you could lease a car. And so in my, in my, you know, wanting to be a bit cleverer and fancier than I was, I thought, yeah, I, I, that's pretty much, they gave me a raise. Here's, here's a car allowance. I can do it now. And so I went and leased a Volkswagen Passat. I can't remember the year now. It was a very yeah. long time ago. And it was, I want to say it was 55 odd grand, something like that. It was a new car, like just anyone. And I did the numbers on, on what I could have, had I put that money aside rather than, you know, <laughs> in my early 20s, right, rather than actually think I was clever in leasing this car, it would have been, I think, a, at least a six-figure, probably a seven-figure amount, depending on if, you know, what re- return rate you use by the time I retired. So I literally, that car was a million-dollar car for me. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have any of that money. The car dealer in the car yard's got all the cash. Um, what about what about car loans? Are, are you one of those people, you know, never borrow for a depreciating asset or are you, ah, okay, spoil a bit, enjoy, do some things? Before I answer your question, I answer my question. Did you manage to pull in the chicks? <laughs> I say that, that. I, if he what goes on tour stays on tour, you, <laughs> you know can that. You get that out of your body. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all, it's all fair, all I fair think game. I find a lot of young boys make on. I've, I've got a son, and I hope he doesn't say that. No, the motto in my, the motto in my household is like I um, would only uh, pay cash for a car. Um, and uh, uh, completely truthful, the last car I bought, it was cash. It um, wasn't a flashy car, but I just didn't want to get a loan. I did not. So save up hard. I drove that other car to the ground and then got one when I had the budget. Um, I'm not a big fan of getting out personal loans for cars at all. I understand some people may do it through their accountant because of whatever tax depreciation or whatever case may be. But I've also seen people in the trap where they, you know, do a novated lease. They've got a balloon payment. When that balloon payment's up, they then get another latest update. Exactly. They're forever, ever paying off this car. And the more debt you have, it uh, holds you back from investing because your commitments go to, to those rather than, you know, freeing you up for other wealth building strategies. I love that, mate. I will say that my wife and I then drove a 1998 Camry until it was finally unregisterable. So I, I did learn my lessons eventually, but that first car... I, it, it, what car did you have when you uh, found your wife? <laughs> uh, so, oh, Effie, one, one of our... I learned the lesson late. One of our first dates was when we went and picked... This is terrible. I think I, you, you are going to owe me one of this. Uh, one of our first dates, we, uh, we went and... I, 
test drove a Mazda MX-5 and then subsequently bought that car. Oh, so that speak, speaking, of, speaking of pulling the chicks, that may or may not have had something to do with it. Is all I'm saying. So, but uh, but we did after that uh, settle. So let's just just slow down a little bit. Maybe she was a good influence on me. I'm not sure. Oh, hey, um, let's let's talk about girls for a minute because your other book you wrote um, is a real girl's guide to money. And you you and I spoke at Finfest, the Equity Mates mm-hmm. kind of event, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that mate was so many young people. Uh, admittedly, the young people are getting younger the older I get. So, uh, but but a lot of young people and a really good gender balance. I didn't I don't didn't really do a kind of a straw poll head count, but wouldn't be miles off fifty fifty. So like I, I think you know there's some there are despite our concerns about economics, and I, I share those concerns uh, being studied at school. I was just really really impressed. And maybe there are reasons for that. You know, Saturdays and maybe you only go if your your partner wants to go or that sort of stuff. But it was just a really cool young mixed gender crowd. I was like, you know what, that's a pretty good thing right yeah it was really good to see i thought they did a great job of um you know targeting that market to 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 raise general awareness Mm. so uh, and it was pleasing to see that the mixed genders there um and i'm sure you would have a better handle on this than me but looking at the 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 data yes we did see a huge amount of first um uh, time investors jump into the market over the last two years Mm. and i'm assuming there was a fairly kind of even spread with, with women jumping in as well as men I guess also we've got some savvy millennials. We had, um, you know, banks paying next to nothing. I mean, even now you're lucky to get, what, 4%. You've got to be under 35, <laughs> unfortunately, Scott, to get that. We can't oh, get that. The, the youth savers. <laughs> there was a time, Effie, I was young once. <laughs> I won't be able to get in. Um, and and I, I guess they're just looking for, for better returns. But obviously, yeah. you know, your risk equals re- risk versus return and so on mm-hmm, takes mm-hmm. into account. But it is good to see that more people are interested yeah. in investing because saving and investing are, are two very different things. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I can tell you, you know, heaps of ways to save. But what's more powerful is the power of investing. And over time, you'll be far better off going that way than trying to, you know, cut your shower down by five minutes. Well, five minutes, that's a long time in the shower by five, you know. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I hear you, I hear you. I, can, I, can I say, I would give up a lot of luxuries before a hot shower. I, everything I'm in the shower, I'm like, you know what? This is one of those things. Like, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a particularly flashy guy. I don't, I, you know, yeah. I drive a used Hilux these days. So uh, that, that's how far I've fallen from my MX-5 and my my flashy yeah. Volkswagen. But uh uh, I, I don't. Th- I don't think I'd give up the hot shower. I. I, I think I'd probably. I I'd probably skip a meal for a hot shower. Stuff. Oh, you Just, don't. I have. I tried that for a while. For, tell yeah. me. Tell me. I have a challenge where I have to put the cold shower on and just stand under there for at oh. least a minute. Um, it's supposed to be powerful, invigorating. I okay. don't know. <laughs> is, that, is that the only thing, or you have to turn it up, or you turn it down first? Or how does the whole thing work? Do you finish cold? I, I start do cold? start with warm water. I'll be honest. Okay. Then okay. Yeah, and I'm not doing to save money. <laughs> no, no, just just for the just. For, I, yeah. I'm I'm very impressed, mate. I read in a. Oh God, this is confession season for me. I don't know what you're yeah. doing to me. I um, I was one of those one of those yeah, action hero books, right? Tom Clancy, yeah. one of those things about the hero who would take the cold shower because I think it was supposed to invigorating, as you say, and also yes. that was the worst part of his day that he got it over and done with. You know, yes. the eat the frog yeah. thing. And yeah. I tried it for a while. And I gave I gave it up. <laughs> no, I'm impressed. He kept going. Well done. I haven't seen any benefits. Maybe my household, <laughs> no, nothing else yet. <laughs> it can't hurt. It can't hurt. So man, let's go back to the book for a second because yeah. on one hand, and this is Behavioural Finance 101, right? On one hand, a real girl's guide to money, you think, well, hang on, money's money. The money doesn't know who owns it. You know, investing is it. Whether if I buy BHPs or you buy BHPs, we're going to get exactly the same result because it's the yeah. same price and the same shares. And yet, and yet we know women aren't in finance as much as they should be, as much as we'd love them to yeah. be. They're not studying economics. What What is it about 
a real girl's guide to money. Why, why was that necessary? Why was it? Why did it cut through? How? Why was it so successful? Um, is it just? Is it women don't want to hear from blokes? We just talk in a stupid way. We don't make it relevant. Why? Why was it so successful? Why was it so necessary and important? Look, I, I didn't intend. I, I was the same, Scott. I, I don't like getting information that's just you know dressed up in a pink kind of cover. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. I want to know if the boys are making money different to the right. girls. Well, that's right. Different. I, I want to know that. <laughs> and I do make that yeah. clear in the book. The strategy is yes. the yeah. same. This is not about strategies. I guess it was more my voice as a yeah, woman. Yeah. that I basically wanted to share my experience, which is why it was come from Converse to Louboutins. And as mm-hmm. a mum as well of two kids yeah. and trying to juggle everything, a career, finances, raising kids, um, having a partner that's got a completely different money behaviour to, to m- myself, right. um, it was me as a woman talking to other women. Mm-hmm. And it really did start that, you know, in my circle of friends, we do talk, we do ask, how the hell do you afford that? How does she afford for that you know and you know the idea also came from back then the publisher of the book um a a mum of four now (laughs) she would come in with designer dresses and just be all over the shop and she had no idea about money and she kept asking me questions and it really kind of like a, a a an area to feel safe and disclose some of my personal bad money habits as well um and just you know Talk, bring out those voices in our head because I say we do have these voices in our head. Um, I know I say it. How do they afford that? What are they doing? How can I be better? But it's all really about being your own personal best. So that, that's why it was called A Real Girl's Guide to Money because I was trying to keep it real and put my own personal experiences in there. And you did it. It's a fantastic read. I just, I just I, I, you know, I said it shouldn't. The fact that is necessary is probably a blight on the rest of us who've been trying to do it. As Heaps ago been reading it, Scott. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely, <laughs> there's no, no no shame in that. Unlike my car purchases, um, <laughs> that's very that's very much the story, isn't it? Mate, let's get let, let's come back to you again. I, I want to finish with our, our favourite four questions because uh, these are these are always fun. And our, our listeners love them. Uh, obviously, reading, watching, streaming, podcasting these days. Uh, what's taking up your leisure time? Okay. So I do a lot of reading, obviously, to kind of push out a story every single day, be across yeah. everything. I do uh, a lot of reading. First thing for me every morning is I read Bloomberg's top five things for that morning. So it's a real snappy little email. I, I get across what's happening. Uh, podcast, I do like to go for long walks. Yes. Um, you don't look this good, Scott, naturally. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm so I'm, that, That's where I'm going wrong. I After this podcast, walk. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I think I need to walk longer and faster personally. <laughs> um, but I, I do to relax myself. I listen to armchair podcast. Nice. Armchair experts. Okay. Um, it's it's a bit of fun. They do have a whole lot of experts on there. They've got everyone from, you know, maybe a cryptocurrency expert to psychologists to, to celebrities. It has a real nice mixed bag and they keep it real too by putting their listeners on. I find that really easy to, 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 to walk nice. and listen. Yeah. And what trends are you watching, mate? Obviously, you spend your time in the money world, so they're probably that, but they can be anything you want. Is really you kind of watching and going, wow, that's really cool, or wow, that's scary, or I can't wait to see where that goes. What's kind of capturing you there? Oh, 
I think the payment system, if I'm sticking into money, is really interesting. Where we are heading with payments and the developments that are coming out there, especially in um, in artificial intelligence and how they're using that to sway our behaviour with spending and also collecting debts through there. Um, And I think that's come top of mind because I spent two and a half days at a credit (laughs) conference, Scott, and got to (laughs) hear all about AI technology with payments. That's very cool. Some of the AI stuff doing... Um, some uh, credit worthiness stuff is really cool. Actually, yeah. in the US, a couple of companies doing that sort of thing. Um, I have to ask I you about where you... Oh, sorry, if I can just add the other concern mm. is just where we are going with cybersecurity and the importance yeah. that that is going to take, not just from big businesses. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Optus now has really made everyone look at their business yeah. inside out as to what are we doing to protect our customers because mm-hmm. really it could be anyone. I, I wonder how much of that is is bad management, how much of that's luck. I, I'm almost I'm almost expecting that there'll be this continual roll of these because the more the more systems you got, the more doors that can possibly be left open. You only need one left open at the wrong time and a bit of bad luck, and someone happens to be looking in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Look, I think people can expect that 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 um this can happen. I think mm-hmm. we as consumers know that. I think yeah. where people need to ramp it up is well, what will you do if it does happen. Uh-huh. How exactly. do you handle it? Yes. Because I think they could have handled it a lot better. Oh, yes. man, it's so, it's so common, isn't it? The crisis management stuff, just you see yeah, some of the stuff. I think, think that man, would be, be down-packed. Right, have it. right. We've some sort of text where you pull it out. Yep, yeah, pull yeah. it out. Let's roll it. Yeah. In case of emergency break glass, yeah. Hey, um, what advice would you give someone who was getting started in economics, finance, uh, TV, media? Well, you do so many things. I'm not even sure which way to, to direct this one. So I'll just say, if the next Effie Zahos is out there, what should yeah. she be thinking about? What, someone who wants to get into media? Yeah, or or finance broadly, wherever you want to take it, mate. Feel free. I I am very excited about the industry. I would um, encourage anyone and everyone to really get a good grasp of money, whether it's just for a personal reason or whether it's because you want to make a career in it. It's far easy to get your money to work harder for you rather than you work for it. (laughs) And I feel that... Definitely the Gen Zs, the alphas that are coming through, they're going to be what's the buzz term as intra-entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. I was looking at some McCrindle research and that showed that about um, 86, I think, are going to be self-employed, so they'll never have to answer to a boss. Wow. Of those that will be employed, 48% will be intra-entrepreneurs. They'll have their own careers, but they'll mm-hmm. still have the security of an employee. So either which way... You have to understand how you are going to manage your money. So I really think it, it's it's paramount that you do it, whether you do it as a career or not. You're not going to waste your time by doing it. Very very cool. That's spectacular advice. And mate, I'm gonna I don't know. I, I I like to assume people are optimists because I'm an optimist and I think people should be. And so I I always frame this question: What are you optimistic about? And I shouldn't. I probably should ask people if they're optimists first and then ask them what they're optimistic about. But I'm gonna suggest from your personality, I reckon you're a, you're a born optimist. I reckon you're a uh, somebody who couldn't be couldn't be knocked off an optimistic pedestal if I tried. So I'll, I'll assume that and then say, what are you optimistic about? I'm definitely an optimist, absolutely. Mondays are my favourite day, so that gives oh, you... Oh, there you go. <laughs> I've had two days off. That's intense. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Look, I am optimistic in the sense that there will always be opportunities and I always feel that try and get the um, the noise out, try and get that out of your head 
And I'm very mindful that people are going through some terrible situations. And if you're a flood victim, I, mm -hmm. I understand that you're probably listening to me now and going, well, that's well and good, Effie, but you <laughs> haven't washed your house. You haven't. I do understand that. Yeah. But I think if we don't have optimism, if we don't see that there are challenges and try and make the most of it, it's beaten us. You have lost it. And that and, and, and that's a harder position to come up from. So I, I always try and see what opportunity can I make for whatever situation and I think moving forward like I said I am going to be a lot more optimistic in you know eight months I'm hoping to see that, that the worst of this is behind us and then there are further opportunities now that we can build on I very much hope you are right but before I let you go how can people get more from you obviously watch the Zay show at 7:55 a.m weekdays that's that's appointment viewing uh, but uh, you're on social media how, how can people get more Effie Zahos in their lives Look, I, I'm definitely, you'll see me each day on today's show. CanStar, I write for them. I'm editor at large. Um, but I, I'm very, I'm more active on my Twitter. I can be better at my social, Scott. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, I'm all about just passing. I'm a communicator. I just want you to get information out. Yep. But look, if you do want to reach out to me, probably the best way is Twitter. Nice. There you go. And is it Effie Zahos or Effie underscore Zahos? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of scams out there at the moment. A lot of people. Are, are there? Hell, so I've got several yeah. on the go. So just make sure it's spelled correctly. E-F-F-I-E-Z-A-H-O-S. There um, you go. Fantastic. You do want to get more Effie Zahos. Please do follow her on Twitter and watch her on the Today Show. You will be smarter with your money for doing it. So Effie Zahos, thank you for joining me for The Good Oil. Thanks, Scott, for having me on. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden, and imaged by Link Kelly.